outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning podcast, Reality. Good evening, everyone, and thanks for listening tonight. My name is Sandman, and I'll be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call parareality. Man, I can't believe that it's the middle of October already. This month is just passing by so super fast. You know, I always look forward to October every year because, of course, it has my favorite holiday in it, and I always want to make a make it like a month-long celebration. But it always, for some reason, every year seems to sneak up on me, and before I know it, bam, it's October, and then it just passes by like that so quick, and it's gone. It's over with. Anyway, I've got my Halloween decorations put out, and got my spooky cemetery in the front yard with my undead ghoul and skeleton on the on the porch overlooking the spooky cemetery. And I got my Atmos FX projector playing in the upstairs window. I got a, a glowing red skull projecting onto the garage door. I've got some other spooky Halloween decorations up all over the house. I've got skulls and heads with their eyeballs popping out and mummified cats and all kind of all kind of good stuff for Halloween up at the house. And unfortunately, though, I have to work on Halloween on October the 31st. Seems like I'm always working every Halloween. My favorite freaking holiday, and it seems like I'm always working. But on the day before, October 30th, I'm going to set up my outdoor theater in the cul-de-sac on my street. I live in a cul-de-sac at the very end, and I'm going to set up uh, at dusk. I'm going to set up my outdoor theater, and I'm going to show a couple of classic horror movies for the neighbors to come out and watch. So it ought to be a good time. Uh, You know, of course, we're going to be socially distanced. We're going to be outdoors and six feet apart. Everyone's going to be wearing some sort of mask or something like that. So it ought to be a it ought to be a good time. And Mrs. Sandman wants me to go out to a costume party on Halloween after I get home from work. So if I feel like it, I just may even do that. So yeah, I got some big plans for Halloween this year. And I hope that you do too, because after the year we've had so far, everybody needs to blow off a little steam somehow, you know? So If you're going to go to a Halloween party this year, remember to be smart about it and stay socially aware of your surroundings, what's going on and what you're doing, and wear a mask. Chances are if you're going to a Halloween party, it's going to be a costume party anyway, and you're going to be wearing some sort of mask of some kind. So just make sure that you, you know, stay smart, stay socially aware of not only what you're doing, but what others are doing as well. Well, on tonight's journey into the realm of parareality, I'm going to take you, my loyal listeners, on another time-traveling journey all the way back to the 1500s. 1500s was a time where people, well, science hadn't progressed as far as what it has now, and people were relying more on what was going on religiously instead of scientifically, right? And it was kind of a pretty dark time because that's when witches started to become a big thing. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, my loyal listeners. We're going to talk about witches and their association with Halloween and how It has changed through the years. You know, the last episode I talked about the Hollywood vampire and how the Hollywood vampire has changed over the decades. Hollywood vampire at one point and originally was this grotesque, foul-smelling, undead thing with no soul and no conscience. And it was, had, had rancid breath and, Long bony fingers with long fingernails, 
long pointy type ears, fangs, and it just existed to continue itself and live off of the blood of the living. It progressed from that to, you know, some good-looking teenage kid whose skin glowed in the sunlight, who had a conscience and ethics and was concerned about, you know, do I have a soul? And if I do, what's going to happen to it? You know, this is totally complete 180. But we're not going to be talking about the Hollywood witch and how Hollywood has portrayed witches and how it's changed over the years. Instead, we're going to be talking about real-life witches and their association with Halloween and how that has actually kind of evolved over the years. So uh, it's going to be more of a history-type lesson tonight. And, of course, to learn more, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. But before we begin tonight's journey, let me tell you how you can contact me here at the podcast because, as you know, there are several different ways that you can do it, and here they are. First off, you can always email me. That's the quickest and easiest way to get in contact with me. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Second, you can find me on my Facebook page by doing a search on Facebook for Parareality, or you can just go to www.facebook.com slash Parareality. Also, you can follow me on Twitter. My username is at Radio. That's at Radio. And lastly, you can always call me here on the show on the studio line at 615 615- Six nine two one one seven zero. That number to call once again is area code six one five. Then dial six nine two one one seven zero and leave me a message here on the studio line. I'm in the studio a lot these days, and I'm always working on the podcast. It seems so. You just might catch me, and I just might decide I'll answer the phone that day. You never know. Probably not, but there's always that chance. Slim as it is. And remember that if you do call and you decide to leave me a message on the studio line, that just by leaving me that message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the show. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Otherwise, I may play it back in its entirety and you may reveal something that you don't want revealed. So you better tell me somewhere in your message that you do not want me to play it back on the air. And I always maintain anonymity, so I will not play your name if you leave your name. I will not play your email address if you leave that or any other contact information. So I always uh, will keep everything as anonymous as I possibly can unless you tell me otherwise. And I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast. So if you've got some sort of interesting story that you'd like to get on the air, tell it to me over the voicemail if you'd like. Uh, There's a three-minute time limit, I believe, on the voicemail. But if uh, you run out of time, just call back and pick up where you left off. So those are all the different ways you can get in contact with me, Sandman, here at the podcast here at Parareality. Let me go over them again real quick one last time. First of all, email the show, sandman at parareality.com. Follow me on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash parareality. Or follow me on Twitter. My username is at parareoradio. That's at parareoradio. Or call that studio line, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. All right, everyone, before I jump into tonight's episode, I just want to take a couple of moments to remember the great Eddie Van Halen. Now, I'm not much of a musician. I've tried to learn the guitar when I was a kid, and I just didn't have the manual dexterity for it. Uh, I've played the drums a little bit, and uh, I've uh, dabbled in singing, 
but doesn't matter what kind of a musician I am, music has always been a big part of my life. And Van Halen was my favorite band, and Eddie Van Halen, of course, was my favorite guitarist. He he has been and probably always will be. And you know, I had twenty twenty just continues to suck, doesn't it? I am very saddened and heartbroken that this man has died. The band Van Halen was such an influence on my life during high school and just after I graduated high school. And Eddie's music got me through some difficult times, and the OU812 album was the soundtrack to the summer of my first love. And, man, it was... Every time I listen to that album or just a song from that album, it always brings me back in time to that summer when it came out and and I was, like, in love head over heels for the first time in my life. And uh, that album just brings back such good memories for me. And though... Eddie Van Halen only spent around 20 years or so making the music that we all heard on the radio. Those 20 years were some of the most influential years of rock and roll. He revolutionized the way that people played the guitar. Not only that, he revolutionized the way that people heard the guitar. And he invented a method of playing that everybody that has followed him, struggles just to copy, and no one can do it like he did. He didn't just play that instrument. He had a conversation with six strings on that guitar, and he interpreted that conversation for the world to hear. Very rarely can a musician say that he not only invented a new method of playing his chosen instrument, but completely revolutionized the industry as a whole. And Eddie Van Halen can say that. I had the pleasure of seeing the band Van Halen in concert twice in my lifetime, but that just wasn't enough. I wish I could have seen more. I wish I could have heard more. I wish that Eddie Van Halen would have made more music I wish that he and Sammy Hagar could have made amends sooner so they could have gotten back together and created some new music. But most of all, I wish that he hadn't gotten cancer and died. This is truly a day that the music died. And though I never knew Eddie Van Halen, never met the man, hell, he's don't even have a clue that I freaking exist on this planet. I am very, very shocked at how much his passing has affected me. I've been kind of melancholy for a week and it's, I am very amazed at how saddened I am at the loss of this man and he will be forever missed I know that there are bigger Van Halen fans out there than me, and you know they're probably going through a worse time than I am. Um, but I mourn with the rest of the world and all the Van Halen fans. So to this, Eddie Van Halen, I have to say, riff in peace, Eddie. Riff in peace. Oh, that got that got deep and heavy there for a second, didn't it? That's a, sorry about that, but I I couldn't go on through the podcast without saying something about the man Eddie Van Halen. Okay, so let me read a little bit of fan mail before we get into the uh, the heart of the show here, and this actually comes from a. Twitter follower of mine. Um, he goes by the handle at the Lord Oculus. And this is more of 
a uh, story that he told me uh, via Twitter, and um, I found it a little little interesting. Um, so he is uh, he's all the way over in in India, and uh, his English you have to kind of make a. Of course, English is not his first language, so you have to kind of uh, forgive him for for his his English. Uh, I thought he did it very well. So uh, Lord Oculus writes it's a story about him, and he says, I was uh, in my 11th grade, and I was in Vizag visiting, or living, excuse me, in a boy's hostel. We were quite fantasized by paranormal activities, so me and my few friends decided to perform a Ouija board experiment. We didn't know the rules of it, and we didn't have a proper board, so we used chart board and made that our Ouija board. I don't know what chart board is, but I give you props for doing a homemade Ouija. And uh, he continues by saying, So four of us sat circling the board and closed our eyes. I don't know for how many seconds we did that, but after a few seconds... I opened my eyes and found myself in a dark void and suddenly something shook me so hard and I came back to reality. My roommates said I kept my eyes closed for five to six seconds. But but believe me when I say it felt like minutes or even more than that. After this particular incident, I couldn't sleep for two nights and after that incident, I never tried this act. But I believe that spirits are real and they are not a hoax. Well, Lord Oculus, thank you for writing that to me. I really appreciate that story. I, I love to hear the listeners' personal stories of weird things that has happened to them and, and their their paranormal events and, and stuff. And uh, we had a, a, a good uh, Twitter Conversation. This was actually a direct message. We we exchanged uh, several direct messages. Um, so I asked him, you know, do you think that uh, maybe you were like uh, some in some sort of form of self hypnosis or something like that? And he was like, absolutely not. And he said that uh, whatever uh, shook him actually shook the room, the whole entire room, and everyone in the room felt the shake. So that was uh, very interesting to hear. Um, You know, I have always said for the longest time now, and I'm not the only one that says this, uh, but Ouija boards are something that you shouldn't play with. You shouldn't be dabbling around with these things um, if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, And I think there are very few people on the face of this planet who actually know what they're doing when it comes to a Ouija board. so if you're thinking about experimenting with one, you need to find someone who knows how to use it and you need to have them either uh, run the Ouija experiment for you or teach you how to do it yourself. And I'm when I say find someone that knows how to do it, dude, I don't mean uh, Google it and read the crap off the internet. I mean, you need to find someone and if you can't find someone in your local community that can help you, um, good luck. If you're gonna if you're gonna play with it, um, you may can find someone online who claims that they know, uh, but you know I, I don't trust a lot of online sources for stuff. Um, so yeah, you know in these homemade Ouija boards, I don't know. I think you probably could be um, playing with some even more dangerous stuff there because you know uh, once again if you don't know what you're doing it's probably not a good thing to do so um, I'm glad that uh, nothing else happened to you Lord Oculus and I I I, uh, hope that uh, that incident was um, the only incident that you ever have and that nothing continues to follow you throughout the rest of your your life and that you didn't open some sort of door some sort of channel so yeah so but thank you for that story i really appreciate it and if you guys 
that are listening out there tonight have a story that you'd like to tell me, please email me, sandman at parareality.com, or better yet, call the studio line and tell it to me on the studio line. Of course, that number to call is area code 615, then dial 692-1170. All right, so let's get on with talking about some spooky stuff with witches. Clowns, zombies, witches, and various cinematic characters can be seen roaming around the streets on October 31st. Halloween's been celebrated throughout history in a variety of different ways with a variety of different myths and legends. As with many festivals and tradition, Halloween can trace its roots all the way back to the Druids, the Celtic peoples who lived in Ireland more than a millennia ago. The tradition of Halloween originates from All Saints Day, but it's most famously associated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, which is spelled like Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but it's actually pronounced Samhain. The Celts believed that Halloween, known then as Samhain, was the night that the veil between the spirit realm and the living was at its thinnest, allowing spirits and other supernatural forces to come forth and cause mischief or harm. To the ancient Celts, people were transformed into cats as a punishment for their bad deeds. Those unfortunate enough to be cursed by black magic were also turned into cats, especially black cats. Back then, people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts, and the Celts believed that during the night before the new year, the boundary between these worlds of the living and the dead, the lines were, they became blurred. And of course, during the night of October 31st, they believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. What they were basically doing is having a harvest festival. The Romans had things like that too. Lots of pre-Christian cultures and non-Christian cultures have something very similar to a harvest festival. It's a natural time to have a festival because it's in the middle of autumn and it's the time of the harvest, right? So what happened to the harvest festival is the same thing that happened to just about every other pagan tradition. It got hijacked by Christianity. Now, after the Roman takeover, the Catholics began converting the Celts The two belief systems merged, and the church turned witches, those that ancient peoples looked to for wisdom and medicine, it turned them and made them into devil-worshipping hags. It was believed that witches could turn into cats or turn other people into cats, thus the black cat connection. It was believed that they could turn into other animals like Bats and spiders, you know, familiars, stuff like that. Pope Gregory III designated a festival to honor saints and martyrs between May 13 to November the 1st. And that was in uh, 1000 AD. And, and the church made November 2nd All Souls Day. And that was to honor the dead, which incorporated aspects of the Sowin Festival. And the night before All Saints Day was known as Hallow's Eve and then later turned into Halloween. As time has progressed, beliefs surrounding witchcraft and the supernatural have shifted and they've changed. In Western culture, there's a divide between what's seen as the medieval and the modern. Modern Western society is rational and scientific and doesn't believe in things like magic. Whereas there's this period where we consider pre-modern and in too many ways we still see them as primitive because they believed in magic. Realistically, though, there's not as large of, of a divide as you may think there is. There are people who say explicitly they believe in magic and there are others who believe in ghosts 
and other supernatural entities. Now, when I talk about magic, I'm not talking about magic with the magician and the top hat and the cape and the tuxedo and, you know, with the wand and abracadabra and he pulls the rabbit out of the hat. Not that kind of magic. I'm talking about magic with a K in it. The M-A-G-I-C-K magic. That's what I'm talking about. And if you don't know the difference, you need to look it up because there is a difference. Magic with no K on it. M-A-G-I-C magic. That's your magician stuff. That's the guy with the top hat and the cape and the wand pulling the rabbit out of the hat deal. The magic with a K. M-A-G-I-C-K. That's the real magic. The other is illusion, sleight of hand. This is real stuff. This is where you cast real spells and there are real premonitions and real stuff happens as a result of the magic. Magical beliefs in the Middle Ages were things like potions and summoning demons, but it was also beliefs in ghosts and demons as well. In modern times, belief are more focused on ghosts and the supernatural, not just ghosts and demons, but ghosts and the supernatural. Now, here in the last few years, we are seeing a big um, push by the supernat- the uh, paranormal community in demons and demonic activity. Um, I have a problem with that, and I'm not going to get into it. I need to do a whole show on that. Um, I, people these days are too quick to, um, they don't understand something, or if they think it's evil, they call it, oh, it's a demon. It's a demon, and I blame that on Ghost Adventures, Zach Baggins uh, specifically. And don't get me wrong, I I love Ghost Adventures. I admire Zach and all of his crew, and he really has a a passion for the paranormal, and he believes uh, explicitly in what it is that he's doing, and I applaud him for that. I admire him for that. I am a fan of his. I just think that he's too quick to um, use the word demon on a lot of things. And because he is so popular and because so many people follow him and look up to him, I think that that has had an unintentional effect on the paranormal community. So anyway, I digress. That was my, my soapbox for 30 seconds. Sorry. So one of the things that's happened as you move towards the modern and the more scientific is potions of magic get pushed away if they can be easily disproved or explained away by science. Now, I've said all that to not only give you a brief history of Halloween, but also as a kind of lead-in to what we're really here to talk about. And, of course, that would be witches. The origin of the word witch or of the label witch and people who practice witchcraft is really unknown. You can probably Google some stuff and and find some people who say, oh, it, it means this or it came from that or whatever. But really, we don't exactly know where the origin of the label witch and witchcraft came from. The terms witchcraft and witch, though, they derive from Old English, and um, it's pronounced wiccacraft for the masculine or wicca or witcha, depending on if you're masculine or feminine. So wiccacraft from the word Wicca, which is means the male practices it, or Wicca, which would be the feminine, would be the female practicing witchcraft. That's Wicca and Wicca, respectively. <laughs> and the word craft, C-R-A-E-F-T, meaning craft or skill. But really... It's been all just chopped down into 
the actually the the masculine kind of like Wicca. And it's just all clumped in together these days. Now, the earliest record of a witch is actually in the Bible, believe it or not, in the book of Samuel. This biblical witch is more commonly known as the witch of Endor. Now, in the Old Testament, which would be uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 28, verse 3 through 25, a female sorcerer who was visited by Saul, the first king of Israel. Um, although Saul had banished all sorcerers and conjurers from his kingdom, his concern about the final outcome of Israel's battle against the Philistines caused him to seek the services of someone with, and I quote, a familiar spirit, unquote. When his servants told him of such a woman at Endor, he disguised himself and visited her that night. He asked her to conjure up the spirit of the prophet Samuel to tell him his fortunes. And when the woman reminded him of the laws against her practicing that very art, he assured her that she would be protected. And then the woman accordingly conjured up a spirit identified by Saul as Samuel, and the spirit informed Saul that he and his three sons would die in battle the next day and that the Israelites would fall to the Philistines. So that's the very first or earliest record that we know of of a witch, the witch of Endor, and E-N-D-O-R, yes, like the moon on Endor of Star Wars. That might have been where George Lucas came up with the name. I don't know. But that's the earliest record of a witch, which can be found in the Bible in the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, however you want to say it, chapter 28, verse 3 through 25. Now, this leads us to take a look at the various beliefs in witches. Some of the beliefs surrounding witches is that they're all women and they're all involved with the devil and they all wear, you know, black pointy hats with wide, wide brims, right? <clears throat> Despite the belief all witches are women, during the height of the witch hunts in the 1500s and the 1600s, about 25% of those accused were men. More than 100,000 people were accused of witchcraft, with around 50,000 or roughly half of those people being executed. Most of them died via hanging, but those killed during the Spanish Inquisition were burned at the stake. And that is most famously how you see the death of witches portrayed today, which is them being burned at the stake. And America's witch scare, which culminated with the infamous Salem witch trials, were largely at the end, or largely uh, at the end of uh, mass hysteria and killing of accused witches. While there were autumn festivals that included the telling of ghost stories and other kind of creepy traditions, it wasn't until the influx of Irish immigrants that came to America in the 19th century that Halloween as we know it today began to take root. And the mixing of Irish and English customs like jack-o'-lanterns, costumes, going door-to-door asking for money, that led to the current incarnation of Halloween, which is dressing in you know, jack-o'-lanterns, dressing in costumes, and instead of going door-to-door asking for money, kids are going door-to-door asking for treats, for candy. And I say kids, some adults are still doing it. I, I wouldn't lie. I probably would do it too if I could get away with it. <laughs> I love Halloween so much. Now, there are two possible reasons why more women were persecuted as witches than men. That would be a legal argument and the second being a homemaking argument. Now, throughout most of the witch hunts and in two, uh, and in two antiquities, women had much less of a legal status than men, making them easier targets for legal accusations. Specifically talking about the accusation of being a witch, the women who get targeted most oftentimes are women who don't have 
a man around them in some way. They're either they're not married or they don't have a father anymore or they don't have uh, any male relatives of any kind. They're alone, basically. And without these male figures in their lives, there's no one to act as a legal protector for them. So back in those days, in the 1500s and 1600s, if you were a woman and you were single, you were a spinster, you know, you lived by yourself and you had no family, no one to to help protect you as far as a, a male in your life goes, you were ripe for the pickings, especially if you had something that somebody else wanted. And most oftentimes that would be something like land back then because most women who were by themselves uh, did not have money because women weren't allowed to own things, right? Um, so they were usually uh, living at some place that they inherited like family ancestral land or maybe they were married and their husband died and they got to keep his stuff, you know. But most of the time, it was going to be something of you know of land or of uh, animals or something of that nature. But believe me, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. There's always someone around the corner who wants what you've got. Especially back then, if you were a woman by yourself, someone was going to come after your shit. Pretty much guaranteed. Another reason why women were disproportionately seen as witches and persecuted is because the magic is associated with witches tends to be related to the traditional feminine sphere. It's magic that has to do with fertility. Even things like brewing potions and making potions in the sense that it has some relation to cooking, it's all like feminine stuff, right? Who's fertile? Women. Who cooks? Women. Who brews up stuff? Women. Who makes things, right? Women. Now, witches being involved with the devil comes from the Christian understanding of what magic is. Magic is, historically historically speaking, always kind of risque and Illicit in a lot of cases. It's what approved it's 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 what approved of religion isn't, right? It's making up the aforementioned potions. What's the number one thing you think of when I say potion? Probably a love potion, right? Well, Christianity doesn't have love potions. It doesn't have potion, really potions of, of any kind. Now, you've got wine in the Catholic religion, but I wouldn't call that a potion. I would call that an alcoholic beverage. But when you think about it, magic back then, and mostly even today, really, but especially back then, Magic was seen, and witches, though, and those who practiced it were seen to be the feminine, were mostly women. And that's because what was going on with the magic was all feminine-based things. Like I said, magic has a lot to do with fertility. Who's fertile? Women are fertile, Right brewing up potions and making lotions and stuff like that. Who That's a form of cooking. Who does cooking? The women. So magic was always, historically speaking, a little risque. And like I said, it's illicit in a lot of cases. And it, it's... It's what approved of religion is not. 
Now, when moving into Western Europe, when Christianity is dominant, historically Christianity has been seen as a monotheistic religion with one good deity with things like angels and saints, you know, around them compared to other religions who have multiple deities. And because of this, Christians believed everything else was of the devil, right? Well, Wicca today, which is an actual approved religion, has multiple deities. It has the God and it has the goddess as the two main deities. That's not monotheistic, right? So that means that if anyone who performs a magical ritual back then, that they could be considered of the devil. Because remember, Christians believed that if you were practicing a religion that wasn't monotheistic, that it was of the devil. So if anyone who performs a magical ritual that they consider to be religious gets caught performing said ritual, that gets them into deep trouble because Christian authorities think of it as not appropriately Christian. Therefore, it has to be demonic in nature, right? There's just black and white. There's nothing else that it could be. And the black pointy hat that many witches are depicted as wearing with the wide circular brim, that's believed to have originated from, believe it or not, of all places, the witches in the Wizard of Oz. Now, historically, before that, there were a lot of images of witches and headgear of all kinds, and it's not that particular type of headgear was, that any particular type of headgear was associated with witches. It was that if you were in the time of, like, the Puritan people, people wore hats like that, you know. And for those who study these myths and legends, it can be difficult to differentiate what was fictional during that period and what was truly believed. Even in a world where people believe in magic, there are also stage plays and poems and stories about witches coded in our literature, and that gets used for entertainment purposes. Looking at historical beliefs is different than modern times when people say, oh, well, you know, I like the Harry Potter movies, but I don't believe that there are really schools of magic in the world. You know, but when you look at medieval times, it's a little more difficult. In the European Middle Ages, notions of what a witch could be was framed by famous Greek and Roman depictions like Circe and uh, Medea and Ancient Grecians knew what witches were part of entertainment and which riches were real within their beliefs, but we don't know that today. It, the lines are blurred. And by the time you get to the Middle Ages, it's not clear on the difference between a mythological witch and a real witch. So people were unsure of what a real witch was. Say that three times fast. <laughs> People were unsure of what a real witch was. Many young women especially believed that Halloween was the best day for divination and would a lot of times seek out fortune tellers to find out the names of their, you know, you know, their future husbands. And this mashup of traditions and beliefs across the millennia led to witches becoming a symbol of a holiday celebrating the macabre or Halloween. And the lines through the millennia have been blurred, or should I say through the centuries, have been blurred. And it's hard to know what is a real witch versus what a Hollywood witch is these days. We, does anyone ever remember that show Charmed? I think it's I think they rebooted it, and it's I don't know if it's still going on or not. But that the original Charmed that had the three witches in it, and it was, I can't remember who the hell started in it. I watched some of those shows. It was good entertainment value, but totally um, unbelievable as far as witches go. 
And it seems that when you see Hollywood's version of witches, it's pretty much the same thing. It's, oh, there's a family who has a history of witchcraft in the family and these powerful witches or whatever, and this modern generation has rejected it, or maybe the family has decided they don't want to tell the children that there are witches in the family or whatever, but the regardless of what the reasons are, the the craft isn't practiced anymore. And then all of a sudden the person finds out, oh, I'm a witch, and magically they have all these powers and know how to do all these spells and everything. Well, that's not true. You have to, you can be a powerful witch, that's great, but you have to learn the craft. It, you, you don't just, it's not inherited you have to learn the craft and you have to practice it over and over and over again to be good and to become powerful. So, how do modern day witches celebrate Halloween? First of all, we have to honor the tradition as a Wiccan does. Halloween in the Wiccan tradition is called Sowin. It's a sacred holiday or Sabbat as holidays are known in Wicca. Just like Christmas or Hanukkah, every family or group or coven, if you will, celebrates the sowing in a different way. You can't find people to agree that gifts should be open on, on Christmas Eve's or Christmas morning. It's the same way with Wiccan holidays too. Still, most sowing celebrations revolve around one basic ritual, and that's honoring the dead. Some people may cast circles or open a doorway to the other side with chalk and chanting and lay out food for wandering spirits. However, unlike Halloween or Dia de los Muertos, sowing is a somber holiday. At sowing, the Wicca say a temporary farewell to the God. Now, he'll be reborn of the goddess again at Yule, but this is a time of reflection, of looking back at the last year. It's a coming to terms with the one thing in life over we have no over which we have no control, and that's death. During a sowing ritual, participants are expected to be respectful, and quiet while the high priestess or priest conducts the ceremony. It usually will include a ritual prayer or chant, and every celebration may say something different. The important aspect here is to uphold the solemn nature of the event, feasting and Revelry usually occur afterwards because everyone loves to eat, right? And some ritualistic actions that be conformed are things like uh, scrying scrying in smoke or a candle flame or fire or a mirror or calling upon departed loved ones or leaving food outside after the ritual takes place. And the official colors for sewing are not orange and black, but they are red and black. And the preferred foods to eat are things like, it's heavy on fruits and vegetables, but preferred foods are things like pomegranates, apples, and of course, pumpkins. Now, how do I know about sowing and about how it's celebrated and all that stuff? Well, no, I'm not. A Wiccan. I'm not. Uh, however, back in the uh, the early days of the show, I did a uh, a series, a three part series. I believe it was a three part series on um, Wicca, and I did a lot of research on Wicca. I talked to uh, some witches. I, I'm friends with a couple of witches. And I have a lot of reference material that was provided to me. And I know a lot about the religion, um, uh, not enough to, for me to consider myself to be Wiccan. I don't practice it. 
and um, I don't uh, profess to be an expert in it because I am certainly none of those things, but I have researched it a lot, and I do know some, I have some close personal friends, as a matter of fact, who are Wiccan. So I do have a little bit of inside information. So the last thing that I would like to do is talk about a sewing ceremony. So I'm going to tell you how you can celebrate the Sabbath of sewing as a Wiccan does. And this is just one way that you can do it. There are many ways, but this is one simple way that anybody can do this, especially if you're new to the religion or if you're thinking about, do I want to even do this? What's it like? This kind of will give you an idea for what a ceremony is like. Now, this is very simple. This is just one version. There are all kind of different ceremonies, and each group or coven does it differently. Um, So this is just an example, okay? So you start out by preparing a meal for your family, focusing on fruits and vegetables like apples, pomegranates, and pumpkin, right? And if you have wild game meat, that is preferable for your meat. So like deer, something like that, wild boar. If you've got it, that's the type of meat you should have, wild game meat. You also need to include a loaf of dark bread like rye or pumpernickel and a cup of apple cider or wine. So you set the dinner table with candles and a fall centerpiece and put all the food on the table at once. Consider the dinner table as a sacred space. Gather everyone around the table and you say the following. Tonight is the first of three nights on which we celebrate Sowin. It is the end of the harvest, the last days of summer, and the cold nights wait on the other side for us. The bounty of our labor, the abundance of the harvest, the success of the hunt, all lies before us. We thank the earth for all it has given us this season, and yet we look forward to winter, a time of sacred darkness. Then you take the cup of cider or wine and let lead everyone outdoors. Make this a ceremonial and formal occasion. Head to your garden if you've got one. If you don't have one, just find a nice grassy place in your yard and each person in the family takes the cup in turn and sprinkles a little bit of cider or wine out onto the earth and they say this, summer is gone, winter is coming. We have planted and we have watched the garden grow. We have weeded and we have gathered the harvest. Now it is at its end. Then collect any yard trimmings or dead plants that you have and use them to make a like a straw figure, a straw man or a straw woman. If you follow the more masculine path, uh, this figure can, can be called your king of winter and will rule your home until the spring returns. If you follow the more feminine path or the goddess path in any of her many forms, because there's several goddess forms, make a female figure to represent the goddess as a, as a hag or a crone, like a, a winter hag or a winter crone. Now, once that's done, go back inside and bring your little straw deity into your house. Place the figure on your table and prop it up with something and give it a plate of its own. And when you sit down to eat, serve the deity first. Begin your meal with the breaking of the dark bread and make sure you toss a few crumbs outside for the birds afterwards. 
Keep your figure in a place of honor in your home all season long. You can put it back outside in your garden on a pole to watch over the next spring seedlings and uh, eventually burn it at your Beltane celebration if you want to, or you can place it on the hearth of your fireplace or wherever in your home is a place that you consider to be a place of honor. Now, when you're finished with your meal, put the leftovers out in your garden or outside somewhere if you don't have a garden as an offering for the dead. And trust me, it will get eaten. The dead don't eat it. All the animals and everything will. So that was my brief look at witches and Halloween and how things have kind of uh, been associated with witches and changed throughout the decades. hope that you got a little information that you didn't already know about that. I know I certainly had a good time looking up all that stuff and, and uh, putting together a show for you guys. You know, always Halloween, always do Halloween-related stuff. Man, I've done so many Halloween shows about you know, the haunted history of Halloween and it's just jack o Henners. I mean, just all kind of stuff on Halloween. And I always try to find... S- some sort of topic that I don't think many people know about. And you may think you know the history of witches, and certainly this was not an all-encompassing history of witches, okay, not in a one-hour episode. Please don't think that this is everything you need to know about Witches 101 because it certainly isn't. But it's hopefully a way that you can view witches and their association with Halloween and be a little bit more informed. So I certainly hope that you enjoyed tonight's episode of Parareality. Let me know what your ideas and thoughts about it are. Send me an email, sandman at parareality.com. Or get in touch with me through my social media accounts. You can uh, go to facebook.com slash parareality to look up the Parareality group or Parareality page on Facebook. Or follow me on Twitter. My username is at para real radio on twitter and don't forget to call that studio line at 615-692-1170 that number call is 615-692-1170 now please don't forget to visit parareality.com often to keep up on the latest with paranormal news from all around the world i've got a paranormal news section on the website and that content is updated pretty much daily. You can also shop in the Parareality Radio uh, store and watch some of the terrible videos that I've made for the show over the years all right there on parareality.com. And you can actually, if you don't have any of the social media accounts, you're like one of the three people in the world who don't have Facebook or if you're not uh, on Twitter, which not everyone is, but if you're not a big social media person but you want to follow me on social media, uh, you can actually do that right at the bottom of my homepage on parareality.com. So you don't have to have a Facebook account, Aaron, you don't have to have a Twitter account to be able to follow me on those social media platforms. All you got to do is go to parareality.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, and you can see my social media threads right there. So, um, be sure to check it out, man. On uh, on the, speaking of the website, if there's a, a tab uh, that is labeled extras, that's where you can go to find the videos and shop in the store and all that sorts of good stuff. And I've got a brand new Parareality merchandise shop that's opened. I've already had some people buy some stuff. I appreciate that. Um, it's got uh, tons of stuff on it. Uh, more is being added daily. Hopefully I'm going to be uh, adding some stickers soon so you guys can get some Parareality stickers. All the stuff has got the new show logo that I debuted uh, back in January of this year, and I'm going to be adding more stuff just as soon as I can. I've got a lot of good stuff that I've got in line to uh, put up there on in the merchandise store. So, uh, yeah, those are all the things that you can do by going to uh, – Parareality.com. Man, Parareality.com is really, um, that's your one-stop shopping for everything that's happened, happening in the Parareality world. 
And you can follow all my social media accounts there. Buy some stuff. Watch some terrible videos. Maybe even some good videos, too. You never know. Read some news, man. It's great. Now, Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. Just search for Parareality. And if you have a smart speaker, you can listen there, too. So uh, if you got any of the podcast skills, podcast platform skills enabled on your smart device, all you have to do is say, hey, whatever, just play the Parareality podcast. And I've also got a YouTube account, and you can listen to the podcast there, too. It's also full of some great videos like UFO and paranormal documentaries. And I've got a little news segment that I started. Um, then COVID hit and <laughs> things uh, got a little busy for me in my professional world. And I haven't really had time to uh, update it in a long time. But I have a video segment called News of the Strange. And and uh, hopefully here before much longer, I'm going to be getting back to doing some News of the Strange. So it's only like, a, like three video segments on that. But I'm going to get some more up there soon, I hope. And uh, it's got uh, all of those terrible videos that I mentioned about um, when I did my my short-lived television show. So to find the channel, just go to YouTube and look for Parareality 1, and that's the number one not spelled out. So it's Parareality 1 on YouTube. I also now have a Patreon account for the podcast, and I would love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable at $5 a month or less, and each level offers exclusive content, along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co-host on the show, and I think that's pretty good. Um, I don't know of anyone else that's doing a lot of stuff like that, so if you'd like to, uh, maybe if you just want to get your story on on the show, you can be a guest or hell, you can be a co-host too. So each, uh, each tier, you can do something really cool with it. So, uh, just go to patreon.com uh, slash parareality and sign up to be a patron today. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing this quality podcast i make no money off of this show any dime that i do happen to get as a, as income goes right back into the podcast i don't pocket anything all right that about does it for this evening i ran a little bit over time as i usually do but that's okay it's my podcast i can do whatever i want to uh, by the way on october the 26th which is uh the last week of the month it'll be monday october the 26th I'm going to be uploading the original radio broadcast of Dracula and War of the Worlds, both of which first aired back in 1938. And of course, I'm sure you've heard of the uh, Orson Welles War of the Worlds radio broadcast that caused a freaking just all kind of panic here in the United States because people thought it was real. Uh, I'm going to be posting that and the original radio broadcast of Dracula, both aired in 1938. You'll be able to hear them exclusively on my website at parareality.com and on the Parareality Facebook page. I'll be posting links on my social media accounts throughout that entire week, so make sure that you watch out for those links and follow me on social media. Everybody, the next episode of Parareality will air on Friday, November 6th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. I hope that this podcast opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. Hope you have a wonderful evening, wonderful weekend, and have a fantastic Halloween. And I'll see you again on November 6th. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. <laughs> <laughs>